I'm Brian Coffey. I'm pastor of leadership and development here at Chapel Street, but also a campus pastor at our South Street campus. But I began a long time ago, um, some 36 years ago, as youth pastor here. Looking back over the now 30, 35 years of student missions, what I've seen is what started as sort of an experimental thing. Maybe this will be good for kids. Maybe we can give them an experience of a different part of the world. Maybe it can challenge them to grow some. It's grown from that to a, to a major plank in our student ministries platform. Here in America, we live in kind of a cultural bubble, a bubble that's, that's very affluent compared to the rest of the world. And so I think it's easy for us to kind of conflate our, uh, our faith with our culture, our faith with our affluence. And I think kids are vulnerable to that. My name's Amy Heavey, and I grew up here at Chapel Street Church. My faith journey in high school really was impacted by these trips. And my, kind of the first ones, my domestic trips, more urban trips, really showed me that I have faith because I was raised in it, but it is also my job to then own my faith. From those experiences, you realize that people need Jesus just as much as I do, and, but it looks different in the context that you're in. And sometimes I think you can walk in having an expectation or a prediction of how this might look, how I think it should look, but God shows up in totally different ways, and then you're changed by watching the people you get to work with be changed as well. Uh, I'm Trent Santi. I'm a 17-year-old who goes to Geneva High School, and I've been going to Chapel Street since I was in preschool. So I went on the Minnesota mission trip uh, going into my sophomore year, and this was the first mission trip opportunity I've been presented with, and it was a really awesome experience for me to be able to help create a community garden for the neighborhoods there, being able to set up a VBS for the kids to come in and hang out. On my second trip, one of my highlights there was definitely uh, we got the opportunity to go to a train station in the city of in Minneapolis, and we were going uh, through the train station finding homeless people to pray over, and that for me was an eye-opening experience and something that I for sure can say that I I was given more confidence to be able to go out to the strangers and pray over them. That for sure was something that I could take away from this trip. Through all these mission trips, it's just shown me that no matter the background that someone has, it's, it's God's child and you should love them the same as you love them, your, your brother, your sister, your mom, dad, your best friend. My wife and I, uh, years ago, uh, worked uh, in, at Wheaton College. Uh, my wife helped uh, as an instructor in a class of Wheaton College students. And so we, for a couple of years we taught a semester of this class and we came to believe that at the college level we could tell upon first meeting a, a, a class of college students, how many of them had had experiences in high school where they'd been overseas. We, we could just tell by their worldview, by, how, by their maturity, by how they talked about themselves. And we, that really influenced me that, that this is really important because you can see it in their lives if they've had this experience. So my name is Tessa Wagner and my family's been going to Chapel Street for about two years now. So I went to Cabo in March of 2023 and this trip was for high school seniors, current seniors, and it was really focusing on how to finish strong so that we can start our next chapter strong. So we stayed 
in a house really close to Ramon and Vanessia's and they hosted us, they cooked our meals. Ramon is a pastor in that area and they do a lot of local ministry and helping out their friends and my group did a lot of painting and we helped seal a roof. That was a really cool experience just to kind of like get to know the family that we were serving. Thinking about Ecuador and Cabo, what I'm hoping to just remember and stick with me is just how God's, how, how he's worked in those like special moments. Just remembering like the tangible ways that I've seen him work because I feel like mission trips are a really great way to just like keep your eyes open for God. Missions and experiencing God is forever a part of my life. I would not be who I am today spiritually if I had not gone on any of these missions trips. Our student missions program that's developed over these years has had tremendous impact. You know, our four sons all grew up here at Chapel Street. They grew up in our church and they all had multiple student mission experiences in our youth ministries. All of them would say, of all the things that they grew up with in church, among the very most important in their faith stories are student, student missions. And watching what happened in my boys as they had these experiences was dramatic in our family and I'm grateful for those things. Well, it's an exciting day around here. There's a big cookout here in about an hour. And also uh, today and this weekend at all of our campuses, uh, we celebrate what we call our student missions dedication. Uh, my name's Tom Ward. I'm the high school pastor here. So it's, I'm excited to be here with you at Mill Creek and to have the opportunity to share a little bit about student missions happening this summer. As you can see on the screen behind me, uh, we have three different summer trips in addition to a spring break trip. Uh, of the 18 of us went to Cabo over spring break with graduating seniors. But this summer we have three teams going out to serve later this month. The Milwaukee team is incoming freshmen serving with a long-term partner. And that's really the theme around here. Even Brian mentioned 35 years ago, he brought the first group uh, of, of students on a mission trip, and, and really long-term, intentional, healthy partnerships has been such the bread and butter of, of how we've done things. But a team going to Milwaukee, a team that uh, Sterling and Christy Jennings are leading that goes to the Twin Cities. We even got Elfman on that team, so it's going to be pretty exciting. Uh, and then a team going to Ecuador, actually our largest team, I believe, ever that's going to Ecuador at the end of the month. And so one of our traditions here at Chapel Street uh, is to honor and recognize the, the students and the parents uh, and the leaders that are going, or just the families that are represented, and also just to intentionally ask you as a church family who is so generous in, in giving in order to allow trips like this to even happen. But we really want to invite you in and have you help partner with us to pray for the students and the leaders and the families that are represented. And so when you leave, you'll get a prayer card handed to you. We'll remind you again at the end, there'll be some students handing these out to you, just with some really simple and tangible prayer prompts uh, for you to put on your fridge or on your dash or in your Bible, whatever that looks like, uh, to remember to be praying for the teams as they go and serve this summer. And now if you are a student or a leader that's going on a team, would you stand for a moment? I didn't tell you I was going to make you do this, but stand up. You see, based on t-shirts for the most part, that these are some of the students and parents. Yes. <laughs> that wasn't a shot. Uh, if if you're, if you're a parent that isn't going, maybe would you stand as well and just lay a hand on your family member, on your student who's going, and let's, as a church family, take a few moments to pray uh, for these individuals and for these teams. Jesus, we come before you uh, today just so grateful for this church 
and for the, the long-lasting legacy of, of missions and the importance of going and, and serving our community, going and serving other places in the country, and going and serving the world. And so, God, I just pray for these, for these students and for these leaders, for all the families represented. God, as, as these students go to, to serve alongside of long-lasting partners in which you've already been at work in the midst of, God, I just pray that we'd be able to come in humbly, God, that you would allow us to, to seek, to, to listen, and seek to learn, not to pretend as though we have all the answers or all the solutions, but God, would we be humble listeners and, and partner well with those who are, who are there serving. And God, for all of these students and leaders, God, I pray um, that as they serve, that they'd also be filled up in you, God, they, the, the, that they would learn more about the love that you have for them. And God, this would be both an opportunity to serve, but also an opportunity to be served and to be filled up. And so, God, just pray a special blessing over each of these teams as they prepare, as they travel. God, I pray a blessing over these families as they stay home and, and pray and, and keep updates on what's going on with each of these trips. God, would you go before us and be with us? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Well, it's been a little while uh, since I've had an opportunity to preach here at Mill Creek. It's fun. It's exciting. We're all together for one service today. Uh, but uh, you could say that quite a bit has changed in my life since I've last had the opportunity to be here with you guys on a Sunday morning. On April 25th uh, was, uh, the, was the day that my wife, Ashlyn, and I welcomed the baby that was over there crying a moment ago. Uh, so we have a new son to the family. Here's a picture of Rocco Thomas, who's a pretty pretty cool. Thanks for the applause. He's, uh, what I've, what I've noticed is he's, like, really chill. Like, I think he's more chill than his sister was when she was a baby, but I've also said, like, maybe I am a little bit more chill than I was when she was a baby in the middle of COVID as well. Uh, and if you count the one time that we didn't sleep at night and watched church online, if we count that, which I do, then he has perfect church attendance in his life so far. I think he's going to be a really good pastor's kid, at least at least I hope. But he does have a little bit of work to do. I tried again this morning, a little bit of work on the Colossians 1 memory verse. And so since next week is the final week of our series in Colossians, I thought maybe we'd give you one more shot. If you want to stand with me, let's, let's read Colossians 1, 15 through 20. If you haven't memorized, you know, close your eyes or do whatever you need to do. Uh, I'm going to learn from last night. I'll read it so that we can keep the pace together a little bit better. Let's read this or, or recite this out loud. Paul writes, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Next week is the final exam, I was told. That's the last week of this series. And if, if you haven't been with us, we've been walking through this ancient book of Colossians, this letter that Paul wrote to this small little house church in a little town kind of off the beaten path called Colossae. And th really throughout this series, what we've been doing is we've been discovering more about who Jesus is 
and the fullness in which we as his followers can experience in him. In fact, throughout the series, we've said it like this, that the fullness of God is in Christ and we are filled up in him. You see, Paul's writing to this church and really to our church to help us to grasp the greatness of who Jesus is, that he's before all things and in him all things hold together, that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, that Jesus is everything, and that as a follower of Jesus, Christ is in you, that you already have everything that you need and your identity is found in him. And that's what Sterling talked about last week, that we were to put on the things of Christ, that if we understand our identity in Jesus, that we are holy and chosen, and loved, that that should really begin to inform the way in which we live, and the way in which we interact with the people around us, and the people in the world. Paul said it like this, Sterling, this is the last verse of his passage last week in verse 17. Paul says, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That as Christians, as, as ones who represent Jesus, as ones who are empowered by the Spirit, our, our goal, our aim, or really our mindset should be for everything we do to honor Him. And now we're at the point in this letter where Paul begins to get very specific and, and really very practical about what this looks like in the midst of, of the most important relationships in our lives. So let's go ahead and read our passage for today, Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 18. Paul writes, Wives, submit to your husbands, as it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer, wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, let me just acknowledge that there might be some things that, that kind of stir up some thoughts or some questions to your mind right away as I read through that. And we'll take some time this morning together to unpack that and to make sense of what Paul is saying. But before we do so, I'd love if we would just uh, take a moment to pray together again. Let's pray. Jesus, we, uh, we come before you again this morning. God, as we come before your holy word, God, I ask that you would speak to us. God, that you would reveal yourself to us here in this room. And God, that we would be responsive to, to what it is that you have to teach. Jesus, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, there's pretty clearly three major themes, three different kinds of relationships that emerge in this text. And the first one is what I'm calling a Christ-centered marriage. I wonder, what comes into your mind when you think about like some of the best marriages you know? I thought maybe for some of us, we think of this first couple here up on the screen. Carl and Ellie, anybody know this? Are they up there? Carl and Ellie from the Pixar movie Up? Yeah, I've got at least one student that's seen that. Uh, we only see their, their life together played out just for the couple of first few minutes of the movie, but even in that small snapshot, it's really a picture of, of love and a really great relationship. Maybe you think of this next couple, Jim and Pam from The Office. They had some ups and downs, you could say, but I think 
for the most part, maybe things ended well. I'm not sure. Uh, maybe you know this next couple. This is uh, Rob and Laura Petrie from the Dick Van Dyke Show. I watched this show a lot growing up. We had all the DVDs at home, and so I thought I'd try to even things out generationally, maybe a little bit. Uh, and, uh, or maybe this last couple. This is probably the right answer. Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl. Really, Pixar seems to have taken this list by storm, but what a perfect couple of, of just incredible attributes and characteristics. And they had some awesome kids, you could say, as well. Or maybe on a more serious note, maybe you think of the marriage of your parents, the marriage of your grandparents, maybe a, an older mentor, mentor couple at church or somebody, a f- close family friend. But when you're around a great Christ-centered marriage, how do you know? What are the characteristics that you see? I had an opportunity a few weeks ago to spend an entire day hanging out with and celebrating one of my best friends who, who's getting married here at the end of the month. And it was a really fun and an awesome day together. And the day concluded with all of us around the campfire. And we were just taking turns. The, the best man, his oldest brother, had, had asked us all to come prepared with like one or two pieces of encouragement, ways that we can encourage our friend as he prepares uh, to get married and become a husband here at the end of the month. And so we took turns around the campfire that night just sharing those little nuggets that, that we had kind of had come to mind. Things like that as a husband, we hope that he's a husband who creatively pursues his wife and her dreams. We hope he's a husband who's consistent, focuses on consistent, open communication who's patient and a good listener, who sacrifices his needs for her needs, and who initiates spiritual things in the home. And on and on, we shared just really simple, but yet in some ways profound uh, ideas, uh, ways to encourage him as he becomes a husband. And I just want to say that if, if you're married here today, I hope that characteristics like that are true of your marriage, and that that's the kind of example that you've been able to set for those around you. And really for all of us, no, no matter your marital status, I hope that you've seen examples of marriages that have some of those characteristics. Because as followers of Jesus, we all should care about healthy, Christ-centered marriages. It's good for all of us in the family of God, whether we're young or old, single or married. But yet this practical encouragement that Paul gives about marriage might be a bit striking to us at first. Let's look back together at verse 18 and 19. Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, right off the bat, there's probably a word that kind of jumped off the page to many of us, right? Submit. Perhaps to some of us that feels a bit out of date, maybe even irrelevant in 2023, but it's really important that we understand what's happening culturally here because what Paul is saying is different and way better than how we might initially hear it or what we might initially think. See, in the ancient Greco-Roman world, there were these generally accepted codes of conduct for keeping the household order. We see those relationships all throughout the passage. And this ancient code stated that the oldest male of the home had total and complete authority. His wife and children were essentially considered to be his legal property, and he had the right to treat them however he saw fit. Could, even, could be treated harshly, could even disown them if they disobeyed him in some way. It was pretty brutal. You could probably guess that this type of power often turned into abusive power. Which, by the way, I just want to say is not what Paul is condoning here at all. He's recognizing that this was the social order. People in Colossae reading this letter, they all would have known about this. But his point, Paul's point, is to teach how Christ-centered relationships are supposed to look different. 
So first, Paul addresses the wife. And right there, even there, that's shocking. These codes were addressed in this culture only to men, but Paul intentionally, right out of the gate, makes a point to give women dignity and value. And his instruction is to submit, which, by the way, is instruction only to married women to their husbands, not all women to all men, not women to abusive husbands, if that were to be the case. But regardless, maybe you're still kind of wondering, like, well, what sense does that make? It feels kind of archaic, and isn't that kind of the only option in this male-dominated household system? But notice why he says submit. He says submit for it pleases the Lord. You see, there's something different going on here. The Greek word for submit is the word hypotasso, and it simply means to order under or to place oneself in a position of surrender to another. And so while I might kind of jump off the page to us, Paul's instruction to women here is to willingly put yourself under the loving leadership of your husband. Not because he's always right, not because he's perfect, but because it pleases God. And we'll come back to that in a moment. Husbands, Paul has something pretty striking to say to you and me as well. See, he's writing to this men in this ancient culture where marriages often were based more so on economic considerations and where women were viewed as, as property in a lot of ways. But Paul completely flips the script. He says, love your wife. Love her. Cherish her. Serve her. Protect her. Care for her. Treat her in all the ways that we talked about around the campfire with my friend a few weeks ago. I know somebody once that uh, used to always say that a, a healthy Christ-centered marriage is like a dance, like a duet. I'm not much of a dancer. <laughs> Some of you may know I actually hate dancing. It's my least favorite part of weddings. Fun fact. But I think we all know that a beautiful, uh, harmonious dance requires both unity and submission. You can't have two leaders to a dance routine because they trip all over themselves. And I think in some ways that's similar in marriage, that there are two different roles to play. One surrenders, submits the leading to the other, not out of weakness or inability, but out of selflessness and trust. And the other one needs to lead, not in an overbearing way, not as one who holds all the power, but in a gentle, loving way, out of care for the other. See, a Christ-centered marriage is not about one-sided dominance. It's not about who has the power. It's a dance of harmony and mutual respect. And so to husbands, Paul is saying that to love your wife in a way that pleases the Lord looks like recognizing her unique strengths and talents and choosing to intentionally take the lead in a loving and gracious way. And wives, submitting to your husbands in a way that pleases the Lord looks like selflessly and sacrificially allowing him to lead, allowing him to to love you and protect you. Paul goes a bit more into this relationship between love and submission in his letter to the Ephesians church. Let's look at a few of these selected verses from Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Again, in other words, willingly and sacrificially respect the leadership that he provides because it honors God and it points to Jesus. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Married guys, we have a pretty high call here that love looks like sacrifice, to die to ourselves, to give ourselves up as Christ gave himself up for the church. Skip ahead to verse 31. 
It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. See, really what Paul is saying here is that a Christ-centered marriage is a picture of the gospel to the world. It's a representation of the relationship between Jesus and the church. Just as Christ loves and sacrificially gave himself up for the body, if you are living in your identity in Christ, if your mindset is to honor him in everything that you do, then your aim as a husband or a wife should be to sacrifice yourself in order to love and honor and support your spouse, to put on the character of Jesus in your marriage, to reflect the love of Jesus to the world. And Paul continues here by teaching about another important relationship in our lives, and that's where we see a Christ-centered family. Mentioned earlier that uh, we have a one-month-old son and a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter. Here's a picture of the whole family, uh, which if you're curious, things normally don't look as calm and collected as that. We promised Raylan M&Ms if she took a picture, and she delivered. It was, she got a lot of M&Ms that day. Uh, but she's, all things considered, you know, with a mo- one-month-old, things have been good. Everybody's been healthy. It's been going well. But I think the biggest transition has probably been for, for Raylan, the older sister. She's a great sister. She loves her brother. She's always kissing him. This morning, she was trying to, like, push him in the swing, which we tried to get her to not do. But she just wants to love and encourage and support him any way uh, that she can. But I think the biggest transition has kind of been for her, because if you know anything about a two-and-a-half-year-old, She's already trying to figure out where the boundaries are, and she's really good at pushing them. And so we have, uh, we have a lot of moments of like less than ideal listening, where she doesn't do anything that we say, and then she kind of, we have to bring her inside or whatever, and she has a total meltdown. And she's two and a half, so she can't quite process and verbalize all the things that she's feeling, but she's also really smart. And so after one of those, you know, moments or kind of a meltdown, like often, just shortly after that moment, she'll come up to me and she'll say, Daddy, I'm sorry that I wasn't being a good listener. It's like, I don't know how she can pull that off, but uh, she's, she's pretty cool and she's learned a lot about uh, being a big sister. I've learned a lot about being a dad of, of two for this short time. Let's look back and see what Paul says uh, to children and parents here in Colossians chapter 3. He says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers and and mothers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Just like when he's talking about marriage, Paul makes an intentional point here to talk to both sides of the relationships. And again, he first talks to the side that would have had less power, less authority. And the children, he says, to obey your parents in everything. And like we've talked about, in that culture, a child really had no choice but to obey their father. He had total unquestioned authority. But again, notice the reason why Paul says to obey. Is it obey so you don't get treated harshly? Obey so you don't get grounded or get your phone taken away? No, it's obey because this pleases God. There's a theme that's developing throughout this passage. Have you ever thought about that? That it pleases God when you obey your parents? We've got some young people in the room today. What do you think that would look like if you were to intentionally obey your parents in everything you did this week? Looking at some of you, and you're like, I don't know. 
Maybe it's as simple as being a good listener. Like, obviously, that looks different for a 10 or a 15 or a 20-year-old than it does for my 2-year-old, but maybe a simple way to obey your parents is simply just to say yes and to to, to listen to what they have to say and, and do what they ask you to do. Maybe it looks like staying within the boundaries, curfew, whatever that might look like. Maybe it looks like accepting punishment if you receive it and and trying to learn from it. I remember one time when I was a kid, I lied to my mom, and she totally knew it. And I don't know how, but she knew it. And I was grounded for what felt like a month. It was probably like a day or two. Uh, But she made me open my Bible and find as many Bible verses about lying as I possibly could. (laughs) I had to write them all down. We had to review them together, and I had to tape them to my bedroom walls. That might have been forced learning, Mom. Uh, But I think... I think I got the point. This list about how to honor your parents' kids could go on, and I'll I'll give you a short break here for a second. Parents, Paul says to you, don't provoke your children. It could also be translated, don't stir up or do not embitter. Why? So that they won't become discouraged, so that they won't lose heart. And I think that that's significant. As I work with students and and try to learn how to more effectively do ministry with families, I think one of the things that I see all over the place is the rise of anxiety and depression. It's in our whole culture, but specifically with young people. And that happens for a myriad of reasons, right? There's so much that's gone on in the last few years. There's no way any of us have been able to fully process all of the things. And of course, there's also certainly mental health conditions that may require professional support and treatment, and those are things that we take very seriously. But I increasingly believe that one of the best ways that we can kind of combat discouragement and anxiousness in our kids is is simply to live out what Paul is teaching here. Parents, what would it look like for you if your goal this week was to intentionally encourage your children to simply pay attention to them, to thank them when they did a chore around the house, to point out the different ways that you've seen them grow and learn and mature, to, to look for the positives, even in moments of corrections. To invite them into spiritual conversations and ask for their input as well. One of the favorite things that my wife does with our daughter is when she just intentionally takes time, she just did this last night, in fact, uh, to, to share a list of things that she loves about her. It doesn't come from anywhere. I think she just thinks that, what a cool way to, to lift her up and to encourage her. And every time they do that, at bedtime or just random times throughout, throughout the day, and I, whenever I overhear it, I see both of their faces just light up. So I think that's so good and so encouraging both for mom and for daughter. And so to young people in the room, I just encourage you, don't just let your mom and dad lead, but look for ways to engage them as well. I talk all the time to parents that, about the importance of faith at home and that as a parent, your role is the primary discipler of your child. But young people, I think you guys have a role to play too. Ask your parents about their faith and listen to what they have to say. Be open and honest about the questions that you have. Bring them in to the things that you're thinking about or, or wondering about or dreaming about or anxious about. They're smart, your parents are. They, they might know a thing, maybe even two. So I just encourage you, look for opportunities to engage them. They, they have the position of authority, but you kids have a role to play too. Because again, Paul's point is that both sides of this relationship should intentionally be looking for ways to honor God and to point each other to Jesus, to put on the character of Christ in all that we do. And just quick, before we move on from this, maybe, maybe you're here today and, and that parent-child relationship doesn't exactly apply to you. Maybe you don't have kids. Maybe you long to have kids. Maybe you've even lost a child. 
I just want to remind you that as a part of God's family, we all have an important role to play in the raising up of young people. So I just want to encourage you and say that, that you and your influence in this community, in this family, really matters. Whatever role you might play of shepherding or whatever kind of parental role you might play, you and your influence are really critical in this family. Last, Paul shifts the focus here to what I'm calling Christ-centered work. Verse 22 says, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now just right off the bat, let me try to kind of clear up what Paul is saying here when he refers to a bond servant. Other translations, he says slaves. This is not referring to the type of forced slavery that we typically think of in America. Rather, in this context, bond servants were considered to be part of the household, but they didn't uh, have all the same freedoms as everybody else would in the house. They were typically people that were in some kind of need, and so they would, they would come to this family, they, and they get brought in essentially as some type of household servant. And just to be clear, in no way does God approve of this or any kind of slavery, but again, this was common in the ancient household, and so Paul wants to address it speak into it from a Christ-centered perspective. And it's not maybe exactly the same, but probably the closest or easiest way to apply this in our culture would be to think of the employee-employer relationship, or teacher and student, even. And again, we see that Paul addresses both sides of this relationship. First, to the bondservant, to the employee, he says to obey and to do so sincerely out of fear for the Lord, because it pleases God. My first job when I was a teenager was at a Dairy Queen, uh, and even though they let me eat as much ice cream as I wanted, I'll be honest, I hated that job, and I did not like or really even respect my boss very much. And I remember coming across this verse. I wasn't even really much of a Christian at this point, but I came across this verse, and I just remember standing in that Dairy Queen try, trying to wrestle through and think through, like, how can I mix this blizzard for God? Like, it just didn't, <laughs> it didn't make any sense to me. And I'm not sure I ever got it because I quit shortly after and probably not on the best of terms. But, but this is what Paul is saying here. He's saying that, again, as a follower of Jesus, your, your goal, your aim, your mindset should be different. Your goal isn't to please your boss or your teacher. You're working for the Lord. Your calling is way higher than that. And so whether you love your job or you love your class, whether you respect or, or really care for and love the person in position of authority over you, you are to put on the character of Christ in everything that you do. Because ultimately, Jesus is your reward, not a better grade or a better job of promotion. Last, masters, to those in positions of authority, Paul says this in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, to treat your bondservants to treat those under your leadership justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And again, this was completely countercultural, revolutionary. Masters had the rights and the authority to treat their servants however they saw fit. But again, Paul's reminder here is that even as one in a position of authority, that you're under the authority of Jesus. And Jesus treats you perfectly, sacrificially. He's kind and patient He's loving and forgiving. And so as one who has put on Christ, you're to treat those that you have authority over in the same way 
that Jesus treats you. I want to wrap up here this morning by showing you this graphic. I found it in a commentary when I was studying uh, for this text, and I just think, at least for me, it's helpful to kind of see a visual of how all of this plays together. Because really what Paul's saying is that in every relationship, in every way, Jesus is the one who holds ultimate authority. And so, again, our aim, our, our goal, no matter where you might find yourself in this relational sphere, we are to position ourselves towards Jesus, towards the one who has ultimate authority and leadership over everything. And so with that in mind, I just want you to imagine with me as we close. What kind of impact do you think it would have in our community at this campus, in your neighborhood, on your street, if we, the followers of Jesus at Chapel Street Church, intentionally positioned ourselves under Christ's authority in everything that we did, if this is the way that we operated, if our relationships, if our marriages, if our families, if our everyday lives were fueled by and reflected the love of Jesus. I could tell stories of ways that this has already been happening in this faith community. In fact, that's what we did this week at the two funerals of beloved chapel streeters, Alan and Emily, who we lost way too soon, but where this was so much of the legacy of their life. You see, this is what it means to put on the things of Christ in the relationships, the places where it matters the most. May Christ be at the center of everything that we do. And may we honor him with our whole lives. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the love that you have for us. God, that you have chosen us, that you've set us apart. God, we thank you that you've chosen us to proclaim this love to the world around us, to proclaim this love in in the relationships that are closest to us. Jesus, I just pray for each and every one of us, for our marriages, for our families, for our places of, of work, for whatever comes to mind when we think of these different important relationships. God, would you empower us by your spirit to show your love to those around us in everything that we do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now receive this morning's benediction. Go in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who is our ultimate authority and who has been for us the greatest example of love. Help us to live it out, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.